Welcome to Central Line, the AHA podcast. This is the official podcast of the American Animal Hospital Association, dedicated to simplifying the journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine for every member of the veterinary team. Here's your host, Dr. Katie Berlin. Hi, welcome back to Central Line. I'm your host, Dr. Katie Berlin, and our guest this week is somebody who I feel like we've been trying to connect for a while, like a bunch of a bunch of us in the industry, I feel like just slide past each other like ships in the night. And I think Dr. Sharice Roth, you and I have been like that as we have been with so many other people, and I'm really excited that we get a chance to connect today. Thank you so much for coming in and spending this time with us. Absolute pleasure. Yeah, I agree. We're that med is so small, but then there are definitely people that I'm like, how have I not met you before? I know. <laughs> and then we meet and it's like, okay, now I, now I know why we were supposed to meet because yes. this is a good thing. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very, very stoked about this conversation and, um, and hopefully we'll have more than one conversation because I know we have a lot to talk about, but, um, before we get started for any listeners who aren't familiar with you and what you're doing, would you mind just giving us a little intro? Um, yeah. info about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I'm Dr. Sharice Roth. I am Chief Veterinary Officer of Fuzzy Pet Health, which is a virtual care platform that uses digital care along with e-commerce to make sure that pet parents have appropriate access to veterinary knowledge and veterinary care for their pets. Um, I am a mom times two of two boys, um, and I'm also a children's book author times two, and um, a practicing veterinarian as well. I love still going and doing relief shifts and working in hospital. Um, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. That is definitely the nutshell version of you. That's a lot in that nutshell. Like, <laughs> how did you get all that into that nutshell? <laughs> um, I swear I sleep. I promise. Yeah, I'm not like, sure. <laughs> I don't know if I believe you. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's all sorts of fantastic things. And certainly you are proving that um, if you really want to do something, you'll find a way to do it. Yes. Um, so I, before we jump into the episode, um, I have I always like to know a little bit about our guests. Um, on a personal level. And so I wanted to ask you the billboard question. If you could put one thing on a billboard or a tweet, if you're a, if you're a Twitter person, that our entire profession could see every morning on their way to work, what would it be? Well, so this is, I, I doctor very much so like I'm mom. And so <laughs> it would actually be, be kind and listen. And that's more than just for our field. It's it's something that I think is is cross functional in so many ways, cross barrier in so many ways, that uh, it really does come down to those two things: being kind and listening. I love that. And listening, I'm finding, is a very um, it's a common theme. Actually, kindness and listening are kind of common theme among our guests, um, and I think that means we're picking the right guests. <laughs> So I, love I mean, that. I'm partial, but I think you did a great job. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> same, same. <laughs> um, okay, so um, you mentioned a whole lot of things in your bio, but you are a children's book author. And I does it ever get old saying that? Or is it just awesome every time you have to say that? It's super weird. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's really it's fun. The whole thing has just been so fun. Yeah. What made it what motivated you to write those books? Like I, I hadn't heard about them. Um, and then when I went on and looked at them online, I was so taken by the theme and just like, why didn't anybody do this before? So I, I just really want to know, like, what, 
was the the motivation and the kick that that made you do it? Yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head. Why hadn't anybody done this before? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. so I've got my two boys, and they get to watch me do things with our critters. And so they have this very real idea that my mom is a doctor, right? Mm-hmm. And and so I've listened to them have conversations about it back and forth, and you know, hilarity ensues. And so I, I kind of really did think about, like, I'm sure they're having this conversation at school. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's kind of how What's a Real Doctor came about is, you know, just how we explain um, what I do on a, on, a, on a child's level. And so that part was extremely fun. Um, book two, however, is definitely something that is honestly more near and dear to my heart because it's not just veterinary medicine. It's it's what does a real doctor look like? And just the title gives me the feels every time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's because of where was that when I was little? Yeah. You know, I, I didn't meet my first veterinarian until my third year in undergrad. That's and so it was not on my mind. It was nowhere near like anywhere near uh, my mind as, as far as something yeah. that I could actually do. I didn't meet a pediatrician, anything outside of a pediatrician until I was an adult as well. And so, you know, just thinking of that, I mean, I'm not an outlier here, right? I mean, it yeah. is definitely um, the representation and being able to see yourself. Um, you know, so much of mind work and positivity is about being able to visualize. But if you literally can't see it, how in the world can you visualize it? And so that's how book two came about. Um, it's my two nieces that um, are sisters. I'm very into sibling interactions because I think it's just some of the most fascinating conversations. I'm the oldest of five children. Oh, yeah. Um, and we've had some doozies. Um, and so it's about these two girls that are talking to each other in the privacy of their bedroom. Like, do I look like a doctor? And they honestly don't know the answer. And so, you know, it's that, um, it's at that that they meet me and, and we're able to have a conversation about what real doctors look like. And, and so that part is, that's why that came about. It's something that is not talked about and should be. I love that so much. So, um, the first book is what's a real doctor. Mm -hmm. And the second one is what does a real doctor look like? That's right. Um, and we'll make sure we put links to those in the show notes because I'm, I'm sure people are going to want to check them out. Um, and they can get signed copies online. (laughs) Um, but I, I love both of these and the, the part of me that just, you know, all vets, I think love the idea of like, what's a real doctor because we've always had people being like, Oh, you know, are you a vet or a real doctor? You know, and it's like, okay, how many species did you have to study? Right. <laughs> but, yes. but then, of course, there's the idea that, like, I grew up knowing I could be a veterinarian. You know, we had cats that went to the vet. That was part of our culture. We had, I got to go all the time with my parents to the vet's office and meet a vet when I was very little. I was into horses, you know, and so I saw the horse vet all the time. It was just like, a given that if I wanted to, I could grow up to be a vet. Mm. And that is such a huge privilege. And I had no idea that that exposure and that just assumption that I could do whatever I wanted was such a gift. Um, And so for, from my perspective, these books not only are amazing for the kids who don't grow up knowing those things, but also for kids who grew up like me, having to realize that not everybody in the world is like us and that we are extremely lucky. 
Yeah, I think that that's a huge point. You know, um, you know, obviously the the children on the cover are, are African American children and their little girls, um, which is almost kind of the antithesis of what you think when you think doctor in the US. And so because of that, you know, uh, uh, one of the things that I really did think about was, is that going to make non black families feel like this book isn't for them? And and so it really does, though, if you can get past that judging the book by its cover, um, you know, it's important lessons in there. It's talking about physical characteristics, fat, skinny, tall, short, different abilities, um, you know, male, female, and anywhere in between. There's so many lessons in there that, um, oh, no worries. <laughs> pet, sounds, uh, pet sounds don't even register for me. Like, I know. <laughs> it's not even a thing. Um, but that it really does. And almost the way that I put it together is that really you can pick out any page and it become a conversation. Um, and that was really the goal of it, of whatever that family is focusing on, if it's gender equality discussions, if it's um, being able to recognize things like the American Disability Act and how you talk to your children about that. Um, all of those sorts of things are woven into this book. Um, and it's not just about skin color, right? And so I think that there's um, honestly an important component to that, um, mm -hmm. because that is the focus of the book. But there are definitely parts in that book for every parent and for every child. That's fantastic and so important to know because there are people, I mean, the whole mission, right, is to not have people judge a book by its cover. Like as a person, being judged by what you look like is, a, is never a good thing. But I, I do believe that this, you know, this message has tremendous benefit for every family. And even if you don't have kids, like I don't have kids, but I, you know, I think the book is an important reminder for me um, and in how I relate to people that I interact with just within the profession. So um, I, I love all of that. And, you know, I think on the one hand, a children's book seems like such a small thing, right? It's like, it's just a story, right? We, we grew up with stories. And on the other hand, children's books had such a huge impact on me growing up. I mean, I'm a huge book nerd now, and I credit my parents with, like, you know, making me, I have books all behind me. You know, if you're watching the video, you could see that was, like, the first thing I set up in this office when we moved. But kids' books can profoundly shape memories and childhoods, and they can do it even in a passive way, I think, um, because there are a lot of families where I think people are uncomfortable talking about these issues. And I was just wondering how important it is to you that these books start a conversation within the family versus sort of the kids passively absorbing these messages that they can be doctors no matter what they look like and that they can't judge other people by what they look like. Yeah, yeah, I love that question. Um, so it's it's kind of twofold. So I think that, you know, for the people that that don't have children, um, but understand the value of the books, the the way, especially inside this profession, um, to help get that message out that we're a real doctor is to find a local elementary school, purchase a copy, donate it. Um, if there are programs and things like that around you for you know, various socioeconomic backgrounds, donating those books is a great way, even without children in the household, to start to really have those conversations and unfold these lessons for all children. Because... Not every parent can buy books for their kids, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and then outside of that, I think that the the lesson around 
books being more than just entertainment is is something that's often lost. I love to read. I read all different types of books. Um, and, and honestly, when I was younger, that was my way of escaping. That was my way of traveling and learning more. And I think that these books do that same thing. It gives you these snapshots as a child of what? Like, of course, in each illustration in What's a Real Doctor, I'm working on a different species. Love and it. so, you know, in those sorts of things, those are the things that children are going to pull out of like, wait, what? Turtles can go to the vet too? Horses can go to the vet? And it really does, it keeps it from just being something that you're a dog and cat doctor um, to really expanding that vision of what a veterinarian is. And so, of course, that leads to all sorts of different kinds of questions. Like on the cover of the book, I even have a little bird in my pocket um, that's, that's <laughs> just donating. Like it's just, it's clear that we we do it all, right? And we're yeah. everything to these little critters um, yeah. and they're everything to us. And so that's kind of the point of that and, and that it does and should open up those conversations about pet care and vaccines and surgery and recovering all of those things that are really important to what we do um, that make us a real doctor. And then in book two, I think it does a, a non-confrontational job, a great job of being non-confrontational about a, a topic that really can be hard, mm-hmm. um, especially if you are a non-Black family uh, have, trying to have this discussion with your children around diversity and representation and what it means to see yourself as somebody. Um, And so, you know, I think it does do a good job of making it easier because it broaches the subject of, oh, of course, a doctor can look like anything. And then, and I mean, my kids will call me on things. If I say something that's obvious, they're like, duh, mom. (laughs) And they're six and seven. So like, I don't know what teenagers are going to look like, but they call me on it. (laughs) But then that's your end, right? And then actually... There are populations of people that it's it's not common knowledge. It's not normal. Uh, one of the best stories that I have about um, the what does a real doctor look like was a colleague of mine that purchased it for his daughter. And he showed her the cover. And she was like, I don't need to read this book. I know what a real doctor looks like. And he was like, bring it. You know, like, <laughs> what does it look like? And, and he said, I know that he is a doctor, right? Like that, that basically that it's, it's a male, right? And that she really did not make that connection of, but it can be women. And actually in veterinary medicine, it's mostly women now, right? right? So, um, you know, I think it even drew home for him and it was the dad that purchased this for his daughter that the reply back to, you know, he got the book and sent me a picture of her with the book and, and told me her reply. And he said, you know what, I didn't even realize that she really did need this book. That this was yeah. the book she needed to be able to start to have that conversation of actually, no, like it's, it's not just a boy, it's not just a girl, um, and that they can be any color. And so just having those sorts of moments, um, let me know that the, the book did its job, that, that I feel like it'll get into the hands of the children that, that really do need it. Yeah, I love that story. Um, kids are, you know, are sponges, right? And so they're soaking up messages whether we know it or not. And so even if we're not sure if they've soaked up a certain message, it's probably never a bad idea to put more of that message in front of them. Totally. Right? Repetition, we, repetition. <laughs> yep. Could we ever do too much on this front? I don't think so. Yeah. Um, yeah. And even among adults, too. So I'm I'm kidless, right? This is mm. this is my kid. <laughs> that counts. <laughs> yeah. That, that counts. <laughs> but, you know, he's he doesn't need to understand these complex issues. But um, 
So I have not had to have that job. But at the same time, interacting with colleagues, for instance, being in environments where not everybody is open to having these conversations and where a lot of people are afraid of saying the wrong thing mm-hmm. um, or who feel like uh, maybe there isn't a problem that affects them. Books like yours, um, even though they're technically, I guess, designed for kids, like they... Do you feel like they open up a door for adults to have those difficult conversations too? Um, maybe because it's a little bit safer. I do. I think it, it definitely opens the door. Um, you know, the other aspect of it that I think is is super important is that I highly encourage adults to read the book too. Oh yeah, um, because it is definitely it allows us to check our own biases. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we were we were very careful and we were thinking about the illustrations even of making sure that everyone seemed represented. And, and that is something that you can often take for granted as well. You know, it is not uncommon for me to be a speaker at an event and be the only person of color in the entire room. Um, and then also for the people that are not people of color, for that to be in reverse, that's when it starts to be really clear of, oh, I could see how, not that it feels necessarily bad, but it gets your attention. And so I think that it also does a nice job of, of really showing, hey, yeah, this can be really hard to talk about, but also it can be really easy. It can be just as simple as, yeah, doctors look like us. Who is us? All of us. Yeah. I love that. This can be really hard to talk about, but also it can be really easy. It really can. I mean, you know, we, and I'd be like, look, we, we're type A, right? We, yeah. we love, <laughs> technically, it's like the, my favorite beginning to a word. Like, technically, it's like, okay, yeah, let's do this. I'm down. <laughs> Whatever this conversation is going, I'm going. I'm there. Um, but really, sometimes it's overcomplicated, right? Yeah. Children are children. They're going to play with whoever they want to play with. They're going to see that person as a person. And it's really up to us to continue to have that be the norm. Yeah. Love that so much. I'm definitely going to remember that. Um, Do you, so these books are about doctors, technically, Mm -hmm. (laughs) technically. (laughs) Um, Do you think that you'll expand and do more that touch on different veterinary career paths? So book three is actually away with the editor. We're working on it now. And it's what does a real doctor do? And Ah. this one actually explores all of the different types of doctorates. And so it talks about PhDs and JDs. Um, Of course, DVMs will be in there. MDs will be in there. DOs will be in there um, to hopefully open a world. uh, Like the the company behind it is called The Real Doctor Company. That's my company. Um, But I really do think that there's an opportunity for Mm -hmm. us to expand that into every type of of career path. Um, And that really the Real Doctor series will become so much more than just being about doctors. Um, but even, you know, I've been going through some some health things with my own kiddo. And so we get to interact with like child life at hospitals and those sorts of things. Like what a great um, part of this is to be able to also explain what other types of doctors do. And so it'll go down the path of, you know, what does a real cardiologist do? All of those sorts of things so that if that that child is battling with something medically, we can add 
not just education for what's happening to them, but helping them see it as a career path and a way to gain something from their experiences. Um, so yeah, I'm super stoked about, I think that's, my hope is that it be, goes beyond veterinary medicine mm-hmm. um, and honestly goes beyond doctors in general and that we can yeah. really start to expand this and work with other authors and their career path and what they do. It's hard to believe, but it's that time of year already. Registration for Connexity 2022 is open. AHA's annual conference will be in Nashville, Tennessee this year from September 14th through 17th, and you do not want to miss it. From workshops to games to unforgettable speakers, we're planning something for everyone on your team. So bring them all and join us for an event that will leave you energized and inspired. Learn more and register at aha.org slash Connexity. Let's create a better world together. That's a big goal and totally awesome. And you know, there's, there's vet techs listening who are like, okay, when do we find out what a real veterinary technician looks like? (laughs) Yeah. What's a real nurse, right? What's a real nurse. And, and so, you know, there are definitely these things that are, are, are all, I have this whole list of like things I want to do to change the world. Um, (laughs) And I'm just like, look, it's a list, right? I got to go down the boxes. And so you've uh, checked off more boxes than most people. So (laughs) it's a process. It's a process. (laughs) Um, But you know, I think that there's they're definitely the veterinary nurses are such unsung heroes. I would not be sitting here, the level of doctor that I am without veterinary nurses. And I think that there's such work that we can do as veterinarians and people that work around them to help lift them up and support them. um, So that it's super clear on what they actually do. But I I totally agree. Yeah, we'll just, just put it on the list, you know. We'll, yeah. we'll mark it down. Yeah. <laughs> Change veterinary medicine is next. And then once we do that, I can go back and kind of re-up what, what's happening with veterinary nurses. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you've talked about some of the feedback you've gotten um, because of your books. And do you, do you feel like that feedback um, has been pretty central to you continuing on, like to book three being created? Or are you kind of like dead set on doing this regardless? <laughs> like, it oh, seems like no. you've gotten some really good feedback. <laughs> I have gotten good feedback, but I'll be really real. So like, book one and book two were written about a week apart. Oh, Oh, yeah. So it's how it happened. It's how it happened. And then and then book three, I was like, you know, oh, yeah, I should probably do that, too. Um, But I think that for me, I was fully expecting for book two um, to be the one that hits home the most because mm-hmm. it hits it hits it hit home for me like yeah. even just this is gonna sound really silly but even just seeing it and being able to hold it in my hand and seeing these two little brown girls at the end of the book seeing themselves in white coats or in the jumper um honestly like gave me all the feels right I have goosebumps just thinking about it it's it's just the coolest thing right yeah. and so um Yes, the feedback has been phenomenal. The level of support. I've had several VMAs reach out to me, um, and they purchase the books and disperse them throughout their state in the elementary school systems. And um, STEM projects have reached out and all of those sorts of things that I think are exactly where I see this book doing the most value. Yeah. Um, you know, Definitely, I would love to see. I know veterinary schools also have lots of um, roots in their communities that they serve. This would be another great thing. I know like Texas A&M, for example, does their open house where they have the whole community come to the vet school. Like what a great thing um, to have to be able to 
put in that child's hand um, to connect that experience with something that they can continue to experience from home. Yeah. Amazing. No pressure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I just, my mind is whirling with like workshop ideas, you know, like we could have children's books, workshops, like what do you want vet med to know, you know, yeah. write a book about it. Um, Absolutely. And like, the thing is, is I, I mean, I wrote two children's books. Literally anybody can do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes and no, right? It's like, it's like modern art. You have to know how to edit and distill down something really important into something that has very few words and very intentional imagery. Mm. And, um, and that is not easy. So these are big messages for, for that format. So don't sell yourself short is all I'm saying. Uh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, but, you know, speaking of big messages, so, you know, I've worked in a couple of hospitals now, a couple of veterinary hospitals now where... I would imagine that it's been easy for one or two team members to feel singled out because of skin color or orientation or any other factor that made them identify as a member of a marginalized group um, or a minority. And I feel like it's it everybody in the practice, even if their intentions are great and they want to create an inclusive environment and a uh, an environment where everyone feels welcome, they're always looking to those individuals to tell them what to do and how to do it. And I think that must be very, very hard. You know, I've not been in that position, although in certain communities I could have been in that position, but I'm, I'm a white passing enough that I wasn't put in that position. Sure. (laughs) And I just wonder, like, how can team members, regardless of their role in the practice, work on fostering that kind of welcoming environment and inclusive environment without always having to put people on the spot in ways they may not want to be. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, part of being able to educate people about diversity and inclusion is is re-traumatizing, right? Anytime you are singled out, um, treated differently, made to feel different, made to feel less than because of what you look like or, or your experiences um, is traumatizing. And so to repeatedly ask those people to, to teach you, right, how to, how to, how to have that mindset is re-traumatizing. And so you're right, the responsibility should not fall on them all of the time. Um, certainly, if they want to volunteer for it, then great, let's have the conversation and be open hearted and open minded. Um, two great resources. Um, one is the Multicultural Veterinary Medical Association. Um, I am a I just that group, when I found out that that group existed, I could not not be a part of it. Um, I went through so many just differing feelings of guilt, anger, depression, um, around being a mom of color, my two boys can pass as white, um, and being thankful for that, right. And that they don't have to deal with a lot of the things that I had to deal with. Um, and, and there are a lot of feelings associated with that. So the Multicultural Veterinary Medical Association, as far as um, I'm concerned, is the resource um, in in learning how to be um, around people of multicultures, um, how to talk about it, how to learn about it. Um, We have a yearly conference. There are all sorts of ways to educate yourself. Get on the website, volunteer, um, you know, hang out with us. We're great. Um, there's, so that's one of the great ones. The other is Pride VMC. Um, I have just been, my heart is just so full every time I interact with the Pride VMC crew. Um, they all are just 
amazing individuals. And again, much like the role of the Multicultural Veterinary Medical Association, it is a haven for those that belong, but it is also a method of of spreading the responsibility of teaching um, that different is okay and different is required. Um, that if we want veterinary medicine to continue, and it will, to to touch new parts of society and new populations of people, we got to get this right. And so those are two that come top of mind. Um, I do also think that, uh, you know, with that, there are other resources outside of it, books to read, all of those sorts of things. But as far as veterinary medicine is concerned, those are the two that pop into my mind as being highly impactful and highly accessible. Thank you for sharing those um, because I, I follow both of those groups on social media. And I have to say, like, I'll be scrolling through my feed or something and some beautiful, uplifting posts will pop up on my Instagram feed. And inevitably, it's from one of those groups, particularly Pride VMC, like their social media is just like sometimes just the most warm and wonderful place. And you just feel fortunate to have that light like on you. Um, And yeah, it really does seem they both seem like amazing groups of people. And um, and I hope everyone listening, if you want to find out more about them, go check them out. We'll link to them in the in the show notes. Um, And I appreciate you sharing that. This is a tough topic, but you have done such a beautiful job of, um, of making it simple. Like you said, it doesn't have to be so difficult to talk about these issues that really affect every single one of us. And in this profession, you're right. The only way to advance is going to be to embrace our differences and our diversity. And it makes me feel so good to see us doing that more and more. Um, thanks to people like you. So we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, Yeah, we will. Um, so Sharice, where can we find you on social media, on the web? Um, where can people look you up? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram. Um, rumor has it that there may or may not be TikTok videos in existence that have Dr. Roth on them, but that's a thing. <laughs> um, if you want to purchase the books um, with a signature, um, it's at the Real Doctor Store. I guess you'll link to that. Um, yep. and if the signature doesn't matter, then... Amazon, Barnes and Noble, um, pick up a copy, donate it to your local schools um, so that we can get the word out. Absolutely, we will. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Sharice Roth. This has been a pleasure and hopefully we'll get to talk again. Um, But in the meantime, thank you everyone for listening and we'll catch you next time on Central Line. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Central Line, the AHA podcast. If you love what you hear, please take a moment to leave us a rating and review. For more resources to help you simplify your journey towards excellence in veterinary medicine, we invite you to visit aha.org. That's A-A-H-A dot O-R-G.